Warning, this podcast features adult subject matter, adult language, and things not meant for children to hear. Viewer discretion is advised. You've been warned. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the I'm No Joe podcast, the place where every armchair quarterback can feel like an Eddie Bravo. So as we like to do around here, we've got a couple folks here to talk some shit with me, break down some fights, talk about some current events, and uh, make a couple predictions maybe for this weekend's upcoming UFC Prague event, but we will get to that chunk of it later. First and foremost, let's go around and we will talk to people who we've got here. So... First and foremost, the young gun, the stunner, the new up-and-comer. RJ, how you doing, brother? Uh, doing good, man. Uh, uh, sucks I couldn't make it on for the last, the last one, two. But, I mean, back into it. Going to get this shit going. Hell yeah, I appreciate you being here, brother. So, across the octagon on the other side here, the man who is constantly talking UFC shit with me, and I fucking love it. TJ, how you doing, brother? Fucking outstanding. Glad to be back again. I'm ready to talk some more shit as usual. And tell people where they're fucking wrong and where I'm probably wrong, too. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Destined to be a good time. So, we'll get right into it here. First thing I want to do, like we do, news and recent events. So, now it's been a couple weeks since we shot one of these epi- yeah, episodes, excuse me, and there has been all sorts of news out in the world of MMA and UFC particularly. So I'm going to try and condense it down here. There's a couple things I want to talk about real quick just to get them out of the way. Um, First and foremost, Israel Adesanya versus Anderson Silva was a fucking beautiful technical chess match between two deadly motherfuckers. And it was everything that the fucking hype had built it up to be. Now that that is over, we know that Anderson is not getting his title shot, so he has just one fight left on his contract, and he has said that after that fight, he is going to retire, so he is advocating to get that last fight in his home of Brazil. He originally had asked either to fight Connor or Nate Diaz to run back to Diaz fight in his hometown for his last one. The UFC said, we'll see, and then just yesterday they have announced that it will not actually be in his hometown of Curitiba. It will be in Brazil, but Anderson Silva's final fight is going to be against Jared Cannonier. <sighs> On one hand, I'm very happy that the UFC was kind enough to give Anderson Silva his final fight in his home country, not necessarily his hometown, but at least he's at home in his home country to hang up his gloves and what's surely going to be a fucking spectacular fight. But on the other hand of that, fucking really, Dana? The guy is a fucking legend. He has one fight left. He wants it at home against somebody that he knows will be a good match with. And you give him a fucking middle-of-the-roader who really isn't even on old Anderson's radar. I mean... What do you guys think here? Is this just the UFC playing hard to get, or are they trying to give Anderson one more little uh, one of these numbers on his way out the door? I don't know that it's necessarily a one more of these numbers. I think it might be the old bait tactic. 
to try to get him to throw another fight on his contract. So that way he can have that fight. But they probably want that to take place, like a Diaz rematch. They would want that to take place in fucking Vegas. I mean, you look at, or even if they decide to go back to MSG Madison Square Garden on New York, they want it in a big venue. Whereas, I get it. He wants to go out on his terms, and I'm fucking ecstatic about that. Yeah. Piss poor decision on their part for who they chose. You could have, I mean, the dude just took on fucking number three ranked Israel Adesanya, and fucking, he went to war with him. Everybody thought Anderson was going to get fucking wrecked. No, he, he did fantastic. I didn't think he was going to win that fight. I mean, I kind of hoped he did. Right. But I, I knew better. But at the same time, I think they're just, part of that is, is I think they're trying to bait him to get one more fight because they'll go, they're throwing, they're throwing kind of a piece of meat at him and saying, yeah, go ahead, beat this guy up, and then we'll give you the fight you want, even though you said you're going to retire. I think it might be the old um, bait and switch tactic. I can see that. Granted, for them, they don't know how it's going to play out. So I'm just saying it might be a really poor tactic on their point. They probably should have given him the fight he wanted because you know what? Let a legend go out like a legend on his terms because he's going out on his terms. If he lays them down even after this fight, I won't be mad. I'm just, the only people I'm going to be mad at is the UFC, the matchmakers, Dana. That's your fucking job. That dude has a legacy fucking longer than Connor is tall. Hell yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that it's like a, it's going to be one of those situations. I'm I'm 100 sure that it's that that they're just like yeah, you know. We can't. We don't. We don't want to. We don't want to give you what you want. So it's going to be like eh, we'll just give you fifty fifty. Either either you're gonna take the fight where you want it, or we're gonna give you a fight that you want where the fuck we want it. So it's gonna be one of the situations are either take the fight, don't take the fight. Either way, you're gonna retire. And it 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 it, it is gonna be real, a real bad situation because I mean, Anderson Silva is a fucking legend of the fucking UFC, well, even the UFC MMA in general. Yeah, the fact that he can take catastrophic injury after catastrophic injury and keep on fighting time after time. The fact that I he mean, came back after his fucking leg alone. Leg, yeah. As good as he was two weeks ago after a dude we watched his leg go stretch Armstrong in the fucking ring. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And he was throwing fucking kicks at Israel too. He wasn't holding back. So that'll bring us to the next little thing I want to talk about real quick here. Um, originally for the last week or two, it has been a little bit up in the air. What is going to happen with the 185 pound division with Robert Whitaker, excuse me, Robert Whitaker having the emergency hernia surgery. Apparently his colon and a couple feet of his intestines had popped out through his fucking muscle lining and had been like that for days. And he was just trying to tough through it. So fucking hats off for being a tough motherfucker to that guy. Uh, hope he gets a speedy recovery. But in the meanwhile, they have just in the last 48 hours announced what they are going to do now that we have Israel Adesanya, who was number three and beat Anderson Silva, got his promised title shot up for him, and 
Kevin Gastelum, who was parading around with Henry's fucking belt on his shoulder, pretending it was the real one, making a complete ass of himself. But to put this all in together, into perspective here, the UFC has finally come to a decision, and they announced the day before yesterday that, uh, I don't remember the card they announced it on, but early this summer, they are going to have Israel Adesanya versus Kelvin Gastelum for the interim 185 belt to give Robert Whitaker longer to heal up so he's properly ready. He's fully back. Everything is good to go. It gives us a fight to keep the 185 division moving. It gives us an interim belt where one is actually justified for a fucking change. Props on that one because I didn't think Dana understood how that worked. But we're actually getting a justified interim belt in the 185 division. We're giving Whitaker time to heal up. And this gives us one hell of a set of fireworks on the horizon here. Now, I'm not going to say that Gastelum is a chump, even though I don't fucking care for him, because you don't make your way to the top of division with talk. You get yourself a big fight with the talk, but you don't make yourself up to the top of a division by talking. He has legitimately won some fights, and he's won, some, won them in some fairly impressive fashions. That being said, Israel fucking Adesanya. I've been telling people about this kid, and I've been fucking telling people about this kid since there were rumors he was getting signed to the UFC. And here we are. He is officially fighting for his first fucking title chance within 14 months of being signed. He has five calendar fights in 2018. It is tied for the record consecutive fights in a single fight year in his fucking debut year. Here we are, first quarter of 2019, and he has officially been announced at fighting for his chance for his first fucking gold. Now, I'm not going to go so far as to say that I know that he's going to win this, but as far as my opinion goes from what I have seen of Adesanya and of Gastelum, I am inclined to believe that the next big fight we're going to be seeing is going to be Adesanya versus Whitaker for that 185 belt. So what do you guys think? Do you think that uh, Adesanya's got a chance of coming away over KG with that interim and signing up for the uh, next Bobby Knuckles fight? I don't even say that it's a chance. That's going to happen. There, look, all that shit that Kelvin's doing. Apparently he forgot a diamond upside down as a pussy. And um, he's going to find out that um, he's the pussy, Adesanya's the dick, and he's about to get fucked. I agree. <laughs> couldn't be couldn't be said any better. Uh, yeah, that 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 kid's been on a fucking storm like I've never seen before. Like me and you talked the very first time that I got on here about Israel Adesanya, and I mean, kid's just fucking killing it. Like there's nothing bad that can be said about that kid i mean he's fucking putting in work like it's like like he should be he's yeah. putting in work i mean he's doing fucking great so yeah that is going to be one of the next biggest fights that we see for for this, for this year and the other thing another thing that i love about adesanya is that he's young enough in the ufc to where he still has that strong hunger and he he does get a little a little choppy at the bit but he's also experienced enough as a martial artist and as a professional fighter that when you put a microphone in front of him he doesn't pop off with stupid shit you can see him actively stop and think about shit 
when he's being asked questions. And I like that because that's something that you want your champion, you want your highly respected, your high ranking members in a division to be able to do so you can get them the press they need to make them the star that they could potentially be. That's one of the reasons that Whitaker is so great because when you put a mic in front of him, he doesn't bump off at the gums. He doesn't just talk shit. Everything he says is earnest and it's fucking direct and he doesn't mince words. Adesanya is the same fucking way. So I think we're, we're on our way to having a very potentially stacked, very good looking 185 division battle coming up in the next couple months here. So the next quick little piece that I want to talk about here, it, since I have actually wrote the note out for this particular segment, the news about this has actually changed two or three times now. But I want to talk for just a quick second about a guy that not always comes up on the favorite side, but he is definitely in the news quite a bit. And I'm talking about Daniel Cormier. So Daniel Cormier originally announced that he wanted one more fight against Brock Lesnar in March, and then he was going to retire. Then Kane announced he was coming back. And Brock became maybe a possibility, maybe not. And DC said that, well, if he can't fight Brock, then he would be open to giving Stipe a rematch, but it's definitely not the first fight he wants to make. Then when Kane was training to come back for his fight last week, DC injured his back and had to pull out of his potential March 2nd or, uh, or March 27th, I think it was, uh, fight date that he had scheduled for the match, which was going to be his final match. Because of the injury, he was going to need longer, so he was going to have to postpone that fight into the fall. Then we see a couple days after that, he's back in the gym training with Kane, so no one's really sure how serious the back injury is or what's really going on. Now he comes out and he's saying that he's not sure if Brock is on the table anymore. He's not sure if Stipe is even an option because he thinks Stipe needs to take another fight before he gets the rematch. And he's saying that now he potentially might have more than one fight left in him, depending on how the UFC wants to talk nice to him. My question for you gentlemen is, is this DC playing patty cake with the fucking UFC to try and make it look like he's going to retire so they'll try and want him more? Or is this just DC really being the bitch that he is and, and ducking around to try and get the easiest fight he can to send himself off with? I think it's a bit of a toss-up on this one because he's been around the game long enough. He knows how to play it. So if it's a, him trying to get the fight he wants, one, that's fucking bogus. At this point, if they think Brock is off the table, get rid of that shit. Move on. He's got two options in front of him, and I prefer the first of these two, Stipe and Ngane. That's it. Be ready to take your fucking lickings and call it a day. Because either one of them that touches you, you got lucky when you fought Stipe. And I'm going to say fucking lucky. Because there's no way that would happen twice. That You run that fight back a hundred times, he might win five of those. Maybe. 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 He's already got one of those off the books. So his percentage is way down. And guess what? You running with fucking Francis, you know what's going to happen in that fight. He touches him, he goes to sleep. The only way out of that is to wrestle fuck him. And even Stipe didn't wrestle fuck him. Right. Well, and you also have to think that after <clears throat> that Stipe ass whooping, 
he'd be a fucking idiot to have not gone and put some serious work into his wrestling game as well. So it yeah. won't be as easy of a job if he does try to wrestle fuck him as Stipe had manhandle him around. Because even Stipe that's it too. Him. It was a it, the, the way I look at what he's doing right now. I think he's he's more playing cat and mouse because. You don't fucking injure your back and then go right back into the gym within a matter of weeks. With Cain Velasquez of all fucking people. Yeah, and look, <laughs> aside from what what happened there um, fucking last weekend, Cain's a fucking animal. It doesn't matter how old he is. Yep. And don't get me wrong, and I think part of that was, oh, I'm going to injure my back because if Cain does win, I don't want to have to fight him because he's my training partner. I get it, because you know what? There's a lot of teammates that do that. I can't fault them for that. That's a normal team thing. They don't want their fighters fighting their fighters. They'd rather have, you know, the whole Black Zillions, American Top Team type thing. Yep. Things of that nature. I understand that. If that's the case, say, yeah, I don't want to fight my fucking teammate. Don't bitch out with, oh, my back. I threw my back up. No. Look, dude, I get it. It's the dad bod. It's caught up with you, man. You're not my favorite fighter in the world, I can tell you that. But I respect the things you've done in MMA. Don't be a bitch about what you're doing. You, you've had a fantastic career. You are going to be a Hall of Famer, period. For everything you've done from fucking Grand Prix winner when you weren't even supposed to be in it fucking taking out some of the most fucking major heavyweights at the time to even what you've accomplished now. Granted, you've never been the light heavyweight champion. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Never. Have you been the heavyweight champ? Yes, I'll give you that because you know what? Even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. Yep. So, but you know what? Had a fantastic career. Stop ducking people. If you don't want to fight them, just say you don't want to fight them. Don't be a bitch about it. Yeah, I can't say anything that TJ hasn't said other than I've never understood the I don't want to fight somebody that's on the same camp as I am. Never understood that shit. A fight's a fight. Whether you you fucking train together, it's a fucking fight. You know, battle it out. Battle it out and go back to the fucking gym the next day and keep on fucking training together. I mean, shit, I do it all the time. Uh, I, I, I don't understand that, but with that, with what has been said, I think he's just beating around the bush. He's he he just wants to get the an easy fucking W to go out on. Uh, if he goes against fucking Stipe, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that he's getting his fucking ass whooped. No doubt in my fucking mind. Uh, I mean, I think it's just it's just DC being the shady ass DC trying to trying to backdoor shady shit. Just trying to get an easy W. I am point blank, period. I agree. And it's kind of sad, but, you know. I mean, because he is a, he is a, he is a fucking fabulous fucking fighter. He's a great fighter. But, I mean, it's just like, it's just like people get caught up with the John Jones thing over the last year. It's, he's fucking, DC's on the same shit. It's just on a whole different realm of fucking fighting. Yep. He's doing backdoor shady shit. I agree. So, we will move along here. The next thing I want to take a quick second to talk about. Now, 
it was a little bit contested in the moment and a little bit contested afterwards. There's been a lot of shit talked about it since then on both sides of the decision. Uh, what I'm talking about this time is the smiling Sam Alvey versus Jimmy Crute stoppage. Um, Crute felt that he was out. If you watch the fight, when Mark Goddard stepped in, Alvey was face down with his fucking forehead on the mat and his arms straight out in front of him while Crute was just dropping fucking hammers on him. There was no defense. He, wasn't, he didn't have his hands up. He didn't have his guard up. He was forehead down, and it looked like he was fucking unconscious. Uh, since that time, Sam Alvey has come out and said that he had both of his thumbs up to show that he was still okay, which if you watch the fight, he absolutely did not. But it became such a big ordeal that I saw something that I don't remember seeing in recent years. I'm sure it may have happened before, but I can't recall the last time it did. Mark Goddard issued a written apology to Sam Alvey because in his opinion, the fight could have been let go longer. This hits me weird for a couple different reasons here. One, when we talk, and we do often talk about when we get questionable stoppages, the number one job of a referee is the health and well-being of the fighter, first and foremost. The entertainment of the fans and the fight itself is second. On that note, I 100% agree with Mark Goddard's stoppage. From every angle that we had available to us as fans, which is way more than he gets in the moment, it looks like Sam Alvey is slumped over, face down, hands out in front of him, unconscious, just eating hard shots from Jimmy Crute, undefending. Sam Alvey said that he was blocking with his shoulders and at both thumbs up. I'm a little, I don't want to say upset, I'm a little concerned that Mark Goddard issued this written apology because it sets a precedent that if you cry enough about a stoppage, you can get the guilt to build up on a referee to the extent that he apologizes for that decision and second guesses his own thoughts on that. Now that also opens the door to them contesting this stoppage and turning it into a no contest instead of a loss in the future. I'm not sure the apology was the right decision. I, I get that not everyone's going to agree with it, but I feel like in Goddard issuing this written apology, it's opening the door to some fuckery in the future here. What do you guys think? I will knock this one clean out of the park for fucking everybody here. One, yes, you are exactly right when it says the ref's first job to protect the fighters for well-being even from themselves. Because there are some fighters that will go in there and die. Example. Fucking Holloway and your boy. Yep. He was fucked up. That's all I'm saying. T-City. I love T-City, but man, he would have died on the fucking cross that day. No problem. Yes, he would have. Thank God they stopped that. Now, the second point of this, other than, yes, it is the rest job. The second point of this is I'm a little bit pissed off. If you're a referee, it does not matter what the fighter says. Post-fight, during the stoppage, whenever. Stand your fucking ground. You made the decision to save that motherfucker. If he can't be happy that you saved him, too fucking bad. Look, Sam Alvey, I get it. 
you didn't want the loss. I understand you took the fight on short notice. Props to you for that. That's why you're always getting fights. You don't always win them, but you're willing to take them on short notice, get in there and do your job. This time you got beat. Take it like a man. Don't blame the referee for some bullshit that we all seen otherwise. Mark Goddard, if you run across this, if you ever change your fucking mind again and write a goddamn apology note, you can go jump in front of a fucking Mack truck because you're making all referees look bad doing shit like that. Uh, I'm just going to shut up because he said everything. <laughs> oh, it's like I said earlier, we, we've had some fucked up situations since we recorded our last episode, and that's why I wanted to bring some of these subjects up here. So the next quick thing I just want to touch on for a second, um, we have talked about him since he got promoted from the Tuesday Night Contender Series up into the full-fledged. We've had some good and some bad discussions about him, but we have to talk about him again here. Our boy Johnny Walker, after the spectacular fucking finish a couple weeks back, has officially been announced that he is back in ASA fucking P. He is taking over for OSP next weekend against Serkinkov. Holy shit. Talk about a leapfrog up the fucking line. This kid literally went from a nobody to a Tuesday night contender series fucking superstar to a glorious debut in the fucking UFC. Bri brilliant fucking performance in his follow-up. And now is immediately taking over for OSP in a fucking big-time fight that could seriously springboard Johnny Walker's career right into the fucking limelight, like it or not. So, real quick, it's been a fairly short turnaround. I know we like the kid, but honestly, what do we think here about his odds against Serkinkov? Because I like the kid, I like his style, but at the same time, Serkinkov is not the lower, unranked, newer guys that Walker has been fighting. This is a dude with battle-tested fucking toughness and some serious fight IQ. And I'm a little, I don't want to say hesitant, but I think that this fight could very well either barely get Johnny's way or might even go Serkinkov's way just because of the lack of experience that Walker has so far. Oh, that might end up being a toss-up. Um, on the other hand, though, that spectacular finish says a lot. Look at that. Uh, I'm just saying. Once you've made it to the stage, and look, we all know, it doesn't matter where they're at listed in the rankings. When you're in the UFC, you're still fighting the best of the best because they don't get into the UFC without that. True. It doesn't matter how big their fucking fighter pool is. Now, that's a huge jump up in competition for him. However, he has been steadily rising to the occasion every time he's been called upon and doing it in spectacular fashion. To be honest, I think he's going to go in there on the full head of steam that he has, and he is going to steamroll Circumcoff. Not because Circumcoff's um, an easy walkthrough either. It's going to be a fight, but I have a feeling that old Walker here is going to just walk right through and <laughs> do his thing. I, it, he's just thought he, right now the terror he's on in that quick turnaround, he hasn't been out of the gym. Guaranteed. Yeah. That motherfucker was right back in the gym training again. Yeah, he's taking the fight on short notice, but 
he's been training. The only thing they're going to do is some little touch-ups, watch some tape, find where the holes in his game are, so that way they can attack those. And guess what? Serkinkov's got the same fucking problem here because now he's got a new opponent he was not training for. Right. OSP and Walker, two totally different fighters. Absolutely. Different styles. So you know what? It's going to be a toss-up. It could go either way, but I think that the tear that Walker's on is going to help lead him through it. Nice. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and second that. I mean, the kid has been, has fucking just been putting in work like a son of a bitch. I mean, kid's been putting in work, and uh, I mean, it's just. It's just, it's just from fight to fight. Like you're, like he's gonna, like he's gonna get. I think that he's gonna get a little bit fatigued from going from fight to fight so fast. I think, I think there, there's a possibility if it if it does go into the third round, back into the deep water, he's gonna get fatigued a whole lot fucking faster because he just went from fight to fight like in a fucking a what two month period. Two yeah, period. Two month period. He went from fight yeah. camp to fight to right back into fight camp, and now he's got another fight in two fucking weeks. So, yeah, I'm, he, he, I, I think if it goes late second round into the into the third, he's gonna get fatigued really fast. Uh, I mean, that's the only thing that if it goes that far, I think that then he, uh, Walker is gonna get into some trouble. I believe I've firm belief that he's going to get into some trouble if he's if he starts going in in, in deep he's he's gonna have a problem i could definitely see that because yeah circumkov has been there more than enough times that three rounders shouldn't be an issue for him but walker i don't think has ever seen a third round in his mma career yeah so I, I agree completely if this goes later rounds i think that's where walker's going to struggle and circumkov's going to have his moment to shine yes very right i i didn't even think about that because all the fights we've seen from him, they're not going late. He's going in, he, and he's wrecking people. Yep. And so this step up in competition very well could change it. But like I said, that fucking tear that he's on, the amount of confidence he's riding on right now, confidence oh, yeah. has a huge factor to do in when you're fighting. If you're confident in yourself and what you can do, that can do some major things. However, I would like – I'm not going to lie. I would like to see him get into deep water in this late – fucking second round, middle of third, and see how he does there. See if he can finish fight in those later rounds. Yeah, a little you know? test for him. Yeah, it just a, it's a little test, and you know what? If you can pull it off, you know what that says? That's another feather in your cap that says, yeah, dude, I've been there, done that. That's another high you're sitting on, and that's going to rocket him way up the boards if he can pull that shit out, especially in a later round, because they can go, you know what? The kid is not just uh, somebody who can finish early but he can also go late. Right, right. Yeah, and that'll, that'll absolutely carry a lot of weight for him if he can go into the later later second, you know, late into the third round even and, and fucking finish Circumcoff or, you know, possibly even take Circumcoff to decision and look good doing it. Realistically, that would, in my opinion, make him look a hell of a lot better than going in there and catching a couple of good shots and putting him away early. Really, yeah. you know, taking it to the late second, middle third, or even taking it all the way to decision in a, a well fashion, a good fashion, maybe even benef more beneficial for him, I think. So the next little thing I want to touch on here, I don't want to take a lot of time with this, so I'm just going to make this a real simple one for you, gentlemen. Uh, I just want a simple thumbs up or thumbs down on this one here. 
real, real simple subject. It has been announced officially that this week in a soon to be determined date, Frank Mir is officially going to the WWE. He is done fighting as a mixed martial artist. He is officially going to join Ronda fucking Rousey in the WWE. So without giving this any fucking time to be discussed because it doesn't deserve it. Let me just get a quick thumbs up, thumbs down. What do we think here, gentlemen? <laughs> that's kind of what I thought. And that's why I didn't want to give it any talk time. <laughs> okay. So with that unanimous decision, <laughs> we'll move right along to the next thing that I want to talk about here. Um, with the plethora of UF or not UFC, but uh, Bellator MMA events that have been going on in the last two weeks since we shot our last episode, there has been a whole bunch of noteworthy events that has gone on on that side of the MMA world. And I just want to take a quick moment here to uh, run down a couple of the details. Um, first and foremost, what everyone thought could potentially be a very yawn-worthy and potentially one side or the other retirement-inducing fight in Matt Mitrione versus Sergei Karatanov turned out to be one of the most single painful moments in MMA that I can remember seeing comparable, maybe even more so than Anderson getting his leg stretch armstronged in the fucking octagon. And that is Matt Mitrione's completely unintentional, but unruly direct kick into the cup of Karatanov to the extent that they stopped the fight and took him to the hospital and believed that he had ruptured a testicle. Oh my fucking God. Now, anybody who's watched MMA for any amount of time has seen at least a couple of low blows, whether it catches the cup, whether it catches the boys to the side, We've all seen those shots where they stop the fight, they give the guy five minutes, he moans and groans, he recovers, and then the fight goes back on. Some fights it's changed the momentum, some fights it hasn't, but this is one like I have not seen before. And you can tell that it wasn't a full force kick, but there was definitely some momentum behind the foot, and it was a direct up the middle impact into the cup to the extent that it ruptured Karatanov's testicle in the fucking moment. Holy shit. Now, the one thing that I will say about that is that immediately after the fight and in the post-fight press conference, Matt Mitrione immediately was unbelievably apologetic. It was completely unintentional. You could see, and he obviously felt fucking horrible for it. And the one good thing that I will say that came out of this moment, if there is such a thing, is that Scott Coker, when he came out and did his post-fight or his uh, post-fight press conference section, he said that the next thing that they're going to do is first and foremost make sure that Karatanov is okay. But secondly, as soon as they get that determination, the next fight they are going to make for him is the replay of Mitrione versus Karatanov. They are not going to make any other fight for either men. That's the fight that both men wanted. That's the fight that they and the fans wanted. So they're going to make it again, and it's going to happen sometime later this summer. I thought that was a beautiful fucking example that Dana White could take a fucking lesson from because Coker used to work with the UFC and it seems like since he left, a lot of that matchmaking ethics has been lost on Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard. So that I was very fucking proud of. Now, the next thing that has come out of the Bellator menagerie of the last two weeks here has been 
Scott Coker, it wasn't in the post-white press conference. It was one of the pressers during last week. He has said that now that Vandalay Silva is a free agent, they have been in talks, nothing set in stone. But what he did say was that Vandalay has expressed great interest in fighting for Bellator and that Scott Coker told him to his face he will not even consider offering Vandalay a contract until he has had a full and thorough 100% top-to-bottom physical and mental wellness checkup because he understands that some of these older fighters are in there because they missed the glory days and not because they're still a capable and current fighter. I thought that was another thing. My hat is the fuck off to Scott Coker for taking the fucking high road because everybody knows the name Vandalay. Everybody knows that in this day and age, a lot of the guys that are getting cut from the UFC because they are a more aged fighter are trying to run directly to Bellator to get that second shot because several of them have had that second shot in Bellator. But this goes to show Scott Coker's not here just to pick up UFC trash and try and give it a second limelight. He's being intelligent about the way that he fills the roster for Bellator. And I really, really appreciate that from a fan's point of view, from a fucking hardcore fan, as some folks would call me. I'm kind of balls deep in the MMA lore and the MMA world. So when I see something like this, it really makes me happy that it's not just, oh, you can fight. Let me put your name on a contract and we'll throw you against somebody. Oh, you've got a name. Cool. Come with us. We'll give you a couple more glory day fights. They're actually having an ethic system to the way that they're pulling fighters in and they're making matches. And that makes me very, very fucking happy. Now, the last little thing here that I want to talk about is the 216 card. The 216 card was fucking phenomenal from top to fucking bottom. The prelim card on Bellator 216 was far and beyond better than some of the entire prelim and main card fights the UFC Fight Night events have been putting on over the last couple months. Their prelim card alone was fucking stacked with amazing talent, great fights, impressive submissions and true fucking MMA warrior battles for that. I am definitely fucking gracious, but for the main card itself, particularly there were three monster fucking matches that a lot of folks didn't hear about because they really didn't put a whole lot of press into this card. For some reason, I don't know if it's because they had two cards going on in the same weekend. So they just promoted the weekend of Bellator fights, not so much the individuals, or if it's just that, Bellator doesn't really have the press power that the UFC does just quite yet. Now, granted, they're getting there, but they're just not quite on that same promotional level as far as the awareness goes. But the first one I want to take a moment to talk about here was the rematch of meh, asked for rematches, Mirko Krokov coming out of fucking retirement to take on Roy Big Country Nelson for the, the, the second time. Why was that an interesting one? Because on one hand, Mirko Krokop, while not as agile and quick as he was in his younger days, gave us very much a similar glance as we got with Anderson Silva here in that he might be an older gentleman. He might not have been in it the last couple of years as much as he maybe should have been if this is what he wants to do. But holy shit, is Mirko Krokop still fucking dangerous at any point in time from any point in that octagon? And on the other side of that coin, it got, I don't want to say it shined a bad light. I think it may, maybe more accurately would say it gave us a more magnified view 
of the reason that the UFC cut Roy Nelson loose a couple years ago. Granted, he's had a couple wins in Bellator since then, but big country should be big retirement. Like, that dude left his fucking glory days about a half a decade ago or so. And I'm not going to say it was terrible, but everything that Nelson threw was telegraphed. And every move that he made, you could see my wife, who is a very, very casual MMA fan, was watching the fight with me and was calling what he was doing as he was doing it. A fucking total casual fan was able to read Nelson through the television. If that's the point that you're at in your career, I don't understand how you can have the confidence in yourself to be in there with world-class fucking killers, let alone somebody like Mirko fucking Krokop. So props to Krokop. He did only have a one-fight contract with Bellator, Scott Coker said, so they're going to take this, they're going to take some time, and they're going to talk to him, see if he wants to fully come back because they're not interested in doing another one fight to either want him to come back or stay retired at this point. So. We'll see how that goes. That's being played out very ethically, very intelligently. I'm happy for that. The next one. Chuck Congo came back out of retirement against the other former uh, champion in his division, Minikov. This was a very surprising fight because this was kind of the opposite of Krokov-Nelson where you expected the more experienced Chuck Congo to come in and be more aggressive and be more tactical and be more uh, intelligent in his fighting. It almost seemed like Congo was gun shy here. Like he maybe had a little bit of ring rust and he was afraid to engage and he was almost more working on counters than he was being aggressive and being first in the striking or, you know, being more aggressive in the fucking movements or the dictating of the path of the fight. And I think this was one of those examples, and again, Scott Coker said with this one here, same thing. It was a one-fight contract. You come back and you fight. If you're good, we'll offer you a potential multi-fight contract to come back. In this instance, Scott Coker said flat out, we are not going to offer Chuck Congo another contract. He came back. He granted he was in there, and he fought his fight, but this is not what we are in the business of doing is bringing back old fighters. I was very happy to hear Scott Coker say that. Props to Chuck for still putting the fucking gloves back on and getting in there and going after it after all this time, but... This is another one of those situations you were a legend in your time and your time is fucking past. Please step to the side, let the next generation move along. On that note, that brings us to the main event of the evening for Bellator 216. Michael Venom Page, MVP, versus Paul Simtex Daily. The Battle of the UK Wonders. These are two young gentlemen, both of British origin, both with huge potential careers, highlight reel knockouts, amazing, amazing performances on both sides. Everyone expected this to be a knockdown, drag out, dynamite barn burner of a fucking striker's war. And it was literally the opposite of that. Paul Daly, to his credit, came in very intelligently and worked on a counter fight instead of an aggressive fighting he worked on an outside fight instead of an inside boxers match like he's known for like he's famous for he knew that mvp was a long distance striker and played a very intelligent role to stay out of that range and not give him the opportunity to take those shots that he's taken on several other people and hurt with 
on the other side of that, in doing so, he lost a lot of the fear that he puts into his opponents by being so aggressive and showing them so much power. MVP didn't respect him at all and completely disregarded and almost to a certain degree, Anderson Silva style mocked him during the match. And it came down to a split decision of a win for MVP to which he even said himself, he was disappointed in the match. He was disappointed in himself the way that he performed. This might be the biggest lackluster buildup that we have seen so far in 2019. Granted, we're only, you know, in the end of February, beginning of March here, but for the hype that was put behind this fight, like I said, I do give daily credit for playing smart and not feeding in to what you knew was going to be a trap from MVP to try and catch him with a shot and put him out early. But at the same time, he didn't do enough to establish that he was fighting smartly. And it almost looked like he was scared in a couple times, as well as he got sloppy a few times. And MVP put a very, very close couple of submission attempts against him and almost got him a couple times here. So Bellator is definitely coming up there, definitely starting to put on big fights. I wish they would do a little more promoting, but their talent is really starting to shine through. So Bellator aside, I do want to take just a quick minute now and talk about a couple of the fights that happened last week on UFC Fight Night in Phoenix. So right out the gate, the first one, the only fight on the early prelim card that I was actually excited for, Jessica Penny versus Jody Escobel, was scrapped. The morning of the fucking fight. Because Jessica Penne popped her ankle in warm-up training that morning. Fuck. This is almost becoming an every event occurrence, is that someone is pulling out last fucking minute now. That sucks. I'm a huge fan of Jody Escobel's. She is Keith Jardine's uh, partner. Uh, I love both of them. They're both fucking great. Keith Jardine still trains. I follow him on social media. He's still after it. He's doing a lot of stunt work now with movies and shit, which is really fucking cool because he's not trying to come out of retirement to fight anymore. But he still trains and he's still active and he helps Jody a lot. Jody's got great potential. She just, this is, I believe, her third fight in a row where her opponent pulled out last minute. She's just got a bad streak of luck with the people that the UFC's fucking putting her against. So that being said, the prelim card itself. Now, it was not fight of the night as far as Dana was concerned. As far as I'm concerned, the fight of the night was not Sterling Riviera. The fight of the night was Scott Holtzman versus Nick Lentz. That was a fucking barn burner of a fucking match. Those two boys went at it. There was fucking fireworks. It was intelligent. It was great striking. It was aggressive fucking grappling to keep everything in check. That was a great fucking fight. Um, Ashley Evans-Smith versus Andrea Lee, I will say, did not go the way that I expected it to. Um, I thought that Evan Smith was going to be able to do a lot more. She seemed like she has the greater tool set. And Andrea Lee came in and shut her the fuck down. Props to Andrea Lee. Did not see that coming. My cowgirl hat is off to you, ma'am. That moving along, Jimmy Riviera versus Aljamain Sterling. Meh. <laughs> I understand there was a lot of fucking huff and puff made about it, but realistically, if you go back and watch that fight, 
a lot of it was really playing defensive tag. There wasn't a lot of big shots. There were, there was a couple big shots. There was a couple of big moves, but for the most part, that fight was uneventful and I don't want to say unentertaining, but a little lackluster. Again, for all the hype that was put behind it, I don't feel that it really lived up to what they had built that fight to be. Now, the next fight, on the other hand, the first fight on the fucking main card. Whoo shit. This is one that I was super fucking excited to talk about, and we didn't get a chance to because it all just kind of fell apart when we were getting ready to try and shoot last week. Andre Touchy-Feely versus Miles Jury. Holy shit, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to watch just one fight to get you excited about watching more fights, go back and watch this fucking war. These two gentlemen are two of my favorite current UFC fighters on the roster. They put them together and fucking fireworks happen. There was blood. There was fucking rock'em sock'em robot moments. There was beautiful striking. There was intelligent fighting. It was a fucking war to be proud of as a fighter. Those dudes went in and fucking had at it. And I was very happy about that. I was happy that that fight was on the main card. Now, the actual fight of the night here, uh, or I don't believe it was Friday night. I think it was the fighter's bonus of the night. Uh, Vincente Luque versus Brian Barberino. Talk about a pair of tough motherfuckers. Now, I've been watching Vincente Luque since he was on The Ultimate Fighter because he put on a hell of a performance there. He's had a couple of matches in the UFC where he's done pretty well, but they just haven't really marketed him a whole lot. They haven't really given him too many chances to shine. This was one of those chances. Brian Barberina is a fucking caveman. That man will go in there, grunt, and fucking bang with you all day long. And he's got a chin made of fucking granite. And we saw a great example of that. He and Vincente Luque were throwing haymakers at each other strategically for two and three quarters rounds. And at four minutes and 54 seconds in the third round, Luque got the better of the last exchange that the two of them were throwing kitchen sinks at each other, for fuck's sake, and caught Barbarina with a beautiful knee that you saw just wilted the last of his fucking energy in a beautiful fucking fashion. Barbarina immediately fucking shook his hand after the match was over. There was great respect shown. I think if Vincente Luque gets another chance here going up the ladder into a little bit stronger competition, I think he really does have a chance to finally get a number behind his name that's recognizable. The kid has got some fucking skills, and he's starting to show them off against people who have those skills as well. So you really can't deny this kid much longer as far as I can tell. Now, this one, I'm just going to give it a quick second here. Courtney Casey versus Cynthia Calvillo. This was about as lackluster of a performance from two females as we have seen in recent times. This is another one of those fights that on the lady side of it was completely hyped up and turned into almost a snooze fest. Now, I will say this, the crowd in Phoenix was not the most educated fight crowd. They were not the most understanding fight crowd. Anytime there was a second in the, uh, the lack in the offense or there was a, a grapple or there was a clinch up, the fans would start booing very loudly. That's a little bit much. But in this fight's particular situation, I kind of agree because these ladies weren't so much fighting as they were kind of hanging on each other and being very gun shy and throwing at each other. I don't want to say it was a bad fight, but it wasn't a great fight. It just wasn't a great match. On the other hand, 
the debut of one Crone Gracie versus Alex Leroy Caceres, Bruce Leroy, excuse me, Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres. Now, Caceres has a lot of hype behind him. He's a very outspoken, very boisterous, very loud fighter. And he was basically completely disregarding Crone Gracie, which if for no other reason than watching his early work tapes, that's a dumb idea. But then you take into consideration this young man's last name. He is the grandson of Hickson Gracie. He is Henner's son. This is, I believe he's Henner's son and Hickson's. Either way, he's, he's, a, he's a fucking Gracie. <laughs> the kid has been jujitsuing since he could crawl. He came in there, did a damn fine stand-up job, and then in true Gracie fashion, put a, a beautiful rear naked choke on Alex Caceres and ended the fucking fight. So bravo to that young man. That boy is coming in with heat. I was so fucking impressed with, with the choke, not just because of the choke, but if you go back and watch the replay, he had it cinched so tightly, he had his entire hand, wrist, and about an inch of forearm up through the choke before he locked it down. He had his arm all the way around that neck before he even started to apply pressure to it. You were getting fucked on that route one way or another. It was fucking beautiful. So then we come to the co-main event, which was Paul, the Irish Dragon Felder, versus James, the Loudmouth Texecutioner, Vic. Holy shit. This fight, aside from seeing Vic get absolutely manhandled, which made me very happy after all the shit he's been talking and lackluster performances he's been putting forth, aside from that, I love that Paul Felder got to really display a lot of his fucking talents here because I feel that he's a little underappreciated since he does a lot more work on the commentator's desk than he does in the octagon of late. It was nice to see him be able to remind people that, hey, bitch, I could still throw a fucking punch or two, and he did a goddamn good work. But the most important thing I want to mention about this fight is that it wasn't known at the time, but after the very, very emotional post-fight octagon speech that he had, he went directly backstage and gave about an eight-minute long interview with Brett Akimoto from ESPN, the whole while not realizing that he had punctured his lung in the end of the third round, and it had collapsed. He gave his post-fight interview and then a 10-minute backstage interview with Brett Akimoto with a fucking collapsed lung. They immediately rolled him to the hospital afterwards and said that he almost had pushed it too long. He should have been at the hospital sooner, but responsibilities. That's a consummate fucking professional and a true badass. So, the actual main event for last week's UFC Phoenix. Francis the Predator Ngano versus Kane Brown Pride Velasquez's great return. There was skepticism on all sides here. Kane's been out for 26 months. He's had eight back surgeries. Could he come back from the shell that he had left of greatness? The answer was, we don't know. The match ended in 26 seconds. There was a total of six punches thrown by Francis Ngannou, the last of which was a short uppercut directly to the nose of Cain Velasquez, who was leaned down trying to defend. 
it literally buckled his legs out sideways. He hit the ground, and Gano came for the ground and pound, and the referee stopped it. There's been a lot of contention about the stoppage here because the knee buckled, the knee didn't buckle. There's enough video out there now if you go back and watch. There was a short uppercut from Nganu on the offside that the camera was originally facing during the fight that landed square as square could be and buckled Kane's knees. That being said, I don't think Kane is completely out of the picture. I just don't think he's ready to jump back directly into the top of the heap just yet. Yes, he is back, but he's not the same Kane he was when he left. We have to give him a chance to get back into that momentum. So, what we want to do here, put our previous week's notes aside. Now we're going to talk about this upcoming weekend. We have got UFC Prague. It's an interesting card. I'm not going to say it's a great card. I'm not going to say it's a terrible card. It's interesting. The prelims in this situation almost don't matter. There are really no warrantable fights to discuss on the prelims. So we're going to jump right in, and we're going to start right down on the main card here. The first one I want to talk about, John the Magician Dodson versus Peter Yan. Peter Yan is an up-and-comer in the UFC but holy shit, does that boy have some fucking potential. I have been beyond unimpressed with Dodson as of lately, and I think this is an example of Peter Yan getting a chance to take a dude who's got a name and maybe not the ability that he used to and use it to springboard himself up. I think Peter Yan takes this by KO early second round. What about you, gentlemen? I don't know about a KO, but he's definitely going to end up beating John Dodson. John Dodson seems like he has not been training to his ability because to be honest his last fuck, probably four or five fights they've been really lackluster compared to what he was at one point at one point he was solid constant title contention all the time and then it was like he just stopped training and because he is the martial artist that he is he can still fight, but not to the potential that he once had. And I think a lot of that has to do with a mindset and then where his training's at. Because he's not really that old. No, no, he's not. He's still young. I think he's just not putting in the work. And I don't know if it's because he had that – he did have a run of bad fights there. I don't know if that got in his head and he just hasn't been able to kick it. And that's what his issue is or – if it's a training problem, but Peter Yan's on a fucking tear. And right now, if he runs through Dotson, that's going to springboard him way up past number nine, I would think. I would hope so. Uh, I, I, as much as I love John Dotson, I love his attitude. Always smiling. And you know what? He's not like smiling Sam Alvey. This guy can fucking smile and fight when he trains. But I think this is a this is an effort in training that I think that he's been lacking. So that's why he's going to end up losing the fight. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the kid Yan. I mean, kid's on a uh, three fight win streak. Dawson hasn't done anything in a while. 
I think I think I think he that I think that kid's gonna is gonna go in and I'm gonna call second round KOTKO because I mean the kids the kids come in with a head of steam and uh I mean he's got shit to prove for himself and shit to prove to everybody else in fucking UFC. So I think it's gonna be it's it's gonna be second round stoppage all day. So, from there, we will move on to the next match on UFC Prague's card. Liz Carmouche versus Lucy Padalopa. Now, neither one of these ladies are really on too much of a tear, but Liz Carmouche is campaigning way up high. She is trying to shoot herself into title contention here. I don't know that a win over Lucy Padalopa would put her in title contention, but the win would definitely put some steam in her sail and give her a little bit more oomph in trying to call out some higher-ranked fighters. I think the biggest part to play here is going to be, is Lucy Pudilova showing up to fight or is she showing up for a check? Because we've seen both from her. She's another one of those that are very hot and cold. She's inconsistent. One night she shows up and she looks great. The next night she shows up and it looks like they woke her up in the back to come out and put her gloves on and fight. I think this is going to come down to which Lucy we see. I don't, however, feel that either one of those Lucys is going to be enough to beat Liz. I think Liz Carmouche takes this fight, but I think how easy she wins this fight determines, or is determined rather, by which version of Lucy we're going to see. So I think it's definitely Liz. What do you guys think? You're spot on with that. I don't see Lucy having the, the skill set, period, to beat her. And whether she shows up for the check or shows up to fight, it's not going to get done. It is going to be a matter of how bad Karamush beats her. And I think in this, this is probably a pretty far-fetched idea when it comes to this, but if she puts her away in a extremely dominant fashion, I would say inside of the first round, that will get her that springboard shot she's looking for. Because it's still a ranked opponent, albeit number 14. If you put somebody away who's ranked in a really dominant fashion, that does give you that springboard potential. Now, Lucy, not to take anything away from her, you're a ranked opponent. You've obviously paid your dues to get where you're at. But you're not on the same level. I mean, um, fuck. Part of this goes to... um, Liz being a former fucking Marine. Marines don't fuck around. Yep. Uh, they're, they're trained and instilled into that. She trains like she fights. She's taken that aspect of her former service to the fighting game. You train like you fight. And she goes in there to have wars. And it's just going to be a bad, bad night for Lucy. It doesn't matter which way you cut it. But I'm going to say... If Liz comes out with that mentality, she wants to get to that title shot, she'll put her away in the first round. If she's just trying to make sure she wins the fight, it'll probably be mid-second. Yeah, I'm going to say Liz, point blank, period. I mean, there's, there's, there, there, there's nothing to say. Uh, I mean, 
I mean, with how with how Lucy's been as of late over the last several fights, I mean, it's there's 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 no there's no competing. I mean, it's 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 a it's a wrap for her at least on this fight. It's a wrap. <laughs> All right. So with that one, we're gonna move along to the next fight on the card here. The man, the myth, the legend, Gian Vellante, the man who is on a four-split decision win streak. The longest split decision win streak in UFC history. He did an interview this week, and he has discussed about how he is fucking tired of split decisions. He is tired of leaving it go to the judges, so he has put in that extra work in this camp he is bound and determined the judges will not see this decision here. I am inclined to believe that, man. Watching his fight history, just watching him overall as a fighter over the last couple of years, every time he steps in there, he seems to put a little bit more work in, but it just for whatever fucking reason has seemed to be just not quite enough to make it definitive the last four in a row. So I think this one is going to be his chance to get in there and just put the fucking hammer down and end it quick here. I think Gian Vellante takes this one. I don't know if it's going to be a first round stop. I think it's likely to be more early to mid second round, but I think Gian Vellante doesn't let this even go to the third round. I think he takes this one. For Christ's sakes, for him, I hope so. Because if it goes to another fucking decision, then he... He pulls a five in a lower. How do you how do you take another fight after five? Don't get me wrong, you're still winning. But if you get a fifth split decision in a row, how do you go? Yeah, I still need to fight. I'm winning, but another decision that's not going to do anything for his stock. He needs to go in there and do fucking work. He needs he needs a finish in a bad way. Cause you can't you can't live in the UFC and fucking um, split decision territory. It doesn't work. No. I don't know if anybody's been watching, but a lot of the fucking crazy judgings that have been going on. Hell, watch fucking Bellator the other week, and they had some gnarly fucking decisions. I'm going, what the fuck were you thinking? But nonetheless, you can't trust the judges. He's lucky. That's all I can say. He's lucky that those have gone his way four times in a row. You don't want to be lucky. It's better to be good than lucky when it comes to MMA. That's all I'm saying. Normally, I would say it's the other way around. Better to be lucky than good, but not in MMA, dude. You need to get in there and do work. But, I mean, then on the other side of this coin, who knows? He might go in there too picket and stubborn looking for it and end up getting caught because he knows he wants that finish bad. So, I mean, Michael's got a fucking good shot here if he's coming in hard to counter-strike the piss out of him and beat him that way, but I'm not even going to call a fucking win on this one because I don't know that I can call that because after four split decisions in a row, I can't say that I'm going to give you a win on this. Mainly because I don't know if your head's in it or not. You say it, but is your head in it? Prove it. I can understand that. Have you trained? Fucking prove it. That's all I have to say. Prove it. Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm pretty much the same boat as TJ. I just wrote, wrote question marks 
<laughs> on my notes. I, I, I can't, I can't, I really can't pick a person. I mean, if John comes in fucking full head of steam, fucking wanting this win, but not being stupid about it, being smart, fighting intelligently, I think that he could really do some damage. But then again, in the same fucking flip, he comes in being stupid. I mean, it's fucking, he's done. So I really, I can't, I can't say it's going to be one person over the other. That's fucking, it's just a big old question mark. It's just fucking huge ass question marks. I can definitely understand that. I can see that as well. Um, I, I am inclined to go for John Volante just because I have been a fan of his for so long, but I absolutely agree. If he comes in a little too cocky, a little too stubborn, not clean enough, not smart enough without enough of a game plan established, I can definitely see that being room for him to get fucking hurt, definitely get potentially knocked the fuck out. So speaking of dudes who have potential to get knocked the fuck out, the co-main event for this coming weekend how this fucking matchup came together, I am still not 100% sure. But I think there is some very big potential for an oh shit kind of moment to come up for this co-main event. We are talking about the skyscraper, the tallest active UFC fighter ever, Stefan Struve versus Marcos Rogiero de Lima. Just looking at these two side by side, they do not look like they should be in the same fucking weight class. These two gentlemen look like they're from different divisions. It looks like you've got a 205er fighting a 265er. Granted, Struve is tall as shit, but he's not a big guy for a tall guy. He's large. He's seven foot fucking tall. He's a large fella. But Delima is one of those ice cream cone-shaped motherfuckers, as we refer to him. The dude from his toes to his shoulders is double the width. Like, he's got that no-neck, all-upper power. It's terrifying to see some of the strikes that this dude can fucking lay down. It's very Ngano-esque in how he can just put fucking scary power through a punch. That being said, Stroop's not a slouch. He's had his ass handed to him a couple of times, justifiably so but he's not a slouch i just don't know that i have enough confidence in his abilities against a dude this big and this strong to take it because anything he's got that he can throw galima can take it the guy's got a chin as well as as much as i would like to see the skyscraper get a win and start to get some steam back underneath of him I got to give this one to Delima. This I can't see him losing this. That's all going to depend on one thing, and it's I think it's all going to come down to truth. Is he going to fight intelligently and use the fucking massive reach advantage that he's going to have? Is he going to fight long, or is he going to try to fight in a phone booth? If he fights in a phone booth. He's going to sleep. But if he is smart, goes in with a solid game plan of, I need to fight long, use, fuck it, I think it's almost a 10-inch reach advantage for him, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think it's eight and a half or nine. have a fucking ridiculous reach advantage. Dude, go in there, use your fucking link, because you know what? 
look at the, even fucking use them long fucking limbs. Use them arms. Use your fucking legs. Keep him on the outside and work him on the outside. Use yeah. your jab. 84 if, and a half to 75. If he uses the jab effectively, that'll keep him on the outside and he won't get into danger. But this being Stefan Struve we're talking about. There have been a lot of times where I've seen this big motherfucker try to fight in a phone booth. Yes. What the f- actual fuck are you doing? You don't belong in a phone booth. Your ass is too big. Get out of the phone booth. Fight in the phone booth that's two booths down on the next block. <laughs> I'm saying, I think it's all going to come down to that. It's going to be whether he uses that reach advantage or not because he has a reach advantage over everybody he fights. Everybody. There's very few people in the UFC that have a reach like that. I think the only one that comes similarly close is, I think, John Jones. Yeah, John Jones is like 84. 80, 80, yeah, he's right at that same reach limit. And there's not other people in the division that are like that. So, in this case, use your fucking reach. If you use your reach, you're going to win. If not, you're getting knocked out. I'm not, am I going to say he's going to knock out fucking Delima? By no means. But he can definitely take it to decision and make him look forked over if he uses his reach. But if it's the Stefan Troop that we've seen as of late, he's going to go in there and fight in a phone booth and get knocked out. I'm going to go ahead and give this one straight to Delima. He's going to have a number by in front of him fucking the next time he fights. I think so. Yeah, I'm going up with uh, y'all Delima all day. I mean... Since you uh, looked at your phone, look at it and tell me the last time Struve won a fucking fight. Because I got it written down. It's it's a couple of years now since it's been won. since 2016. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm not seeing one in the last two years. <laughs> the Lima's debut to, to, to UFC was in 2014. He's lost three fucking fights since then. Three. It's going off of that, which is fucking coming in smart. If Delima comes in smart and fucking play and, and fucking plays the game right, dude, he's it's a fucking hook line sinker. He's fucking got a W. I mean, shit. But on the same flip, Struve. I mean, I'm pretty sure the dude's tired of fucking taking taking L's. So if he comes in. Fucking playing as TJ said, the fucking distance game. I mean, there's there's no doubt in my mind that he could that he could walk away with it. But I mean, it's just it's just gonna come up to this stocky motherfucker with just pure fucking power, or this big bitch that is fucking lanky as shit. Are you gonna are you gonna use your fucking distance, or are you gonna let him just fucking Dog pile you around and make you look like a bitch. Shit. To be honest, I would like to see him go in there so that way I can just yell, that's a huge bitch. And watch him <laughs> there. Hell yeah. But with that tall sack of shit out of the way here, that brings us to the main event of Saturday evening. One. Jan Blahovich versus Tiago Santos. 
holy shit, gentlemen. This is going to be a fucking banger. I am not the biggest Marietta fan. Tiago Santos is not my favorite 205-er. I'm not saying he's a bad fighter. I'm just not the biggest fan. He doesn't seem that incredibly impressive to me. Granted, he's got some great fucking finishes. He has some highlight reel worth stoppages. But he doesn't quite seem to have the fight IQ to be able to come in with a game plan and execute it. He seems like one of those fighters that he's got an idea of what he should do. And then when he gets in there, it's whatever the fuck happens to come to mind in the moment here. He doesn't seem to be able to to stick with a routine, to work a game plan in a fight to make it go the way it has to. On the other side of that, you've got Jan Blahovich, who is a fucking strong, intelligent fighter. Great game plan ability. But he almost doesn't seem to have that creative ability in the fight to change the game plan if the game plan isn't working. It, he seems more to me one of those guys that he knows the game plan going in, but he just can't seem to adapt it if the game plan isn't working. Whereas Marietta is the kind of guy who just doesn't really seem to game plan. He literally just plays it off the cuff. I think this is going to be, for lack of a better terms, this is going to be a mediocre level chess match. This is going to be a yin versus yang. Who can put more down early on? that's going to make a difference in the long term of this match. Um, Santos has power early on. He has scary power early on, but he isn't known for having the biggest of gas tanks either. Jan Blahovich, similar in that he comes out fairly strong, but Jan Blahovich has a little bit more of a gas tank to him. He's got a little bit more duration in him. So I think the big deciding factors here are going to be wrestling because they both got incredible striking so the biggest factor is going to be who's going to get the first takedown who's going to make the most dominant takedown who's going to set that precedent and who's able to keep who where they want them to it's the actual execution of a working game plan that's going to determine this match for me as much as it seems to most folks like this is going to be easy work for santos i think it's going to go a good bit here. I think this is going to be a Blahovich victory, but I don't think it's going to be an easy victory or a quick victory. I'm saying mid third round to late third round Blahovich. You know, I think you're just about spot on with that. And I say just about for this reason. There's a big fucking hype train on Santos and that motherfucker is about to get derailed. I don't think it's going to go that late. I do not. I think Polak gets it done early. No offense for calling you a Polak, but, you know, it is what it is. It's all right. That's all right. A little Max Holloway-esque there. Can't help it. Can't get away from that shit. <laughs> uh, no, to be honest, Bohovich is going to get that first takedown. Guaranteed. His wrestling, I think, is on another level compared to Santos. He's not, uh, he's not by any means the poster child for wrestling at all, especially not in that division. Right. But his wrestling is definitely better than Santos. Now, the catch is, is, is he going to be able to get that takedown without getting caught? If so, he gets caught. 
That's it. We know Santos has the fucking KO ability and the one the one shot KO ability. Yeah. Hey, not taking him away from the pole hitter himself. He's got it as well. But if he can manage that first takedown, I think he gets him out of there with inside of two. Because I think he can end up holding him down and ground and pound him out. And he does have quite a few submission victories as well. So he could very well submit him. Insane. But I don't think – I think this is the match where the hype train from Thiago Santos gets derailed. Maybe he'll be smart after this loss, take whatever his purse is, and go get that cock removed off of his chest. It'd probably be a smart move. I'm just saying. Fucking Brazilian Brock Lesnar over here. Right. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't understand. Understand where this, where the hype train is coming from. I mean, the guy's coming in on a fucking win streak. I mean, yeah. I mean, Santos is fucking doing great. Uh, he can go back and look at it. He hasn't lost fucking very many fights. I think it's what like five in the UFC, six professionally, some some shit like that. Yep. Uh. I mean, dude obviously has skill, has knockout power, but I mean, I don't think that he's that he's fucking ready for somebody like this to ha- to, to to come in. I don't I don't think I don't think he's fucking ready for this. I don't see where the high train is coming from. Guy guys coming in on a fucking four win four win streak. And he's, he's, I think, I think it's, it's going to be fucking sec, late second round, early third round fucking submission. I'd love to see that fucking, fucking go out and goddamn submission to shut that motherfucker up. I'd be okay with that. Absolutely. So. Be interesting, that is, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That is, that is um, definitely going to be one to watch. And you know, when it comes to countries going to war. I'm going to take the Polish over the Brazilians any day. <laughs> In this situation, absolutely. If it's a dance-off, we might have to have a different conversation. I say yeah. we're not dancing. We're not talking about that nonsense. <laughs> if I want to go watch Booby Shake Ground, yes, I'm going to go to Carnival. Damn right. So that's our breakdown for the UFC prog card. Normally, this would be the portion where we end the video here, but there is one little thing that I do want to talk about that we probably could have included it in the uh, the news and the recent events here, but I felt that this is a big enough and significant enough thing that I wanted to give it its own little moment here at the end. Um, what I'm talking about was the announcement this morning, officially the full retirements of George Rush St. Pierre. He, it gives me mixed feelings in this situation here. And it's, it's rare that a, a fighter retiring in the way that GSP has done gives me such an odd perspective on it like this one does. On one hand, undeniably one of the greatest to ever do it, period. Regardless of weight class, regardless of record, just Overall, one of the greatest, most classy UFC fighters, MMA fighters at that, to ever grace the fucking octagon. GSP is a one of a kind, and he will be a legend forever. 
on the other side of that, during his press conference, he made a point to mention part of the reason that he is retiring is because the only fight he was interested in making left in his career was against Khabib. And the UFC told him flat out they have no interest in making that match. So with no interest from the UFC in making that match, he said, well, then there's nothing left for me to do. I'm going to just go ahead and retire. I'm not coming back out of retirement again. This is it. I'm going somewhere tropical. I'm going off grid and you guys won't hear from me again for at least a couple of months. If anybody has earned the right to do that, it's fucking GSP. But at the same time, it leaves me with a bittersweet feeling that one, he was only eyeing Khabib for his last match. But for two, this is another example of the UFC having a chance to send a fucking legend out on the match that he asked for. He didn't even care the location. He just wanted a match with Khabib because he respects the style that Khabib uses and felt it would have been a great matchup. I, I'm inclined to agree. Style-wise, that would be an interesting matchup. Not sure what weight they would have done it at, but that had a lot of potential. So on one hand, he's still clearly very sharp. He's still very smart. He's got one of the greatest fight IQs in the game. He clearly has the ability. He showed up out of nowhere and took that fucking 185 belt from Bisbing with the quickness. It's not like he doesn't have the talent, but it's it gives me that bittersweet feeling because on one hand, he's going out when he should. He's intelligent. He's on top. Great time to step back. On the other hand, this is another one of those situations where the UFC had a chance to be the fucking hero give a legend his final fight that he asked for, regardless of the outcome, that's what he wanted. He goes out on his terms 100%, and they couldn't fucking do it. I don't know, man. Like, it leaves me bittersweet in the GSP story in my mind. What do you guys think? Number one, first and foremost, I wish GSP nothing but the best. He was always the classiest of all fucking fighters to ever grace the octagon. Absolutely. Always classy, whether it was in defeat, in fucking winning, even in um, what some called the worst decision ever, when he got beat the brakes off of and he still retained the title. I'm just saying, Big Rig got robbed. I agree. But uh, either way, um, Legacy, beyond compared to anybody else, the only person that I would think that comes anywhere near that would be Anderson Silva. Yeah. Uh, this is another case that I'm, I'm seeing a growing trend here with UFC. And it's very disturbing. They don't give a fuck what the fighters want. Unless you're pulling fucking million dollar or hundreds of millions in pay-per-view buys on a regular basis or you talk enough shit to get your way in and back it up Connor-esque like they don't give a fuck what you want and I think part of this issue is if you look at both Anderson let's just say the two recent ones here that we've talked about today Anderson Silva and now GSP neither one of them have ever really gone to war with the UFC about contracts and things like that. They've always just taken the fights because that's the kind of fighters they were. 
they were never on the business aspect side of it as hard as fighters like Connor were. So I think part of this is they didn't push hard enough during their careers, not as far as fighting is concerned, but the business aspect of it. And so now at this point, the UFC is like, well, they never pushed before, so why are we going to let them push now? And I don't see why they would not let that fight happen. Because the second GSP is named to a card, there's your fucking gate. There's your tons of pay-per-view buys because people love GSP. Whether they love to love him or they love to hate him. GSP is a draw, period. And you know you're going to have Khabib, the wrestle-fuck champion of the world, who should probably be in WWE with the rest of those jagoffs. That's another one that's going to sell tickets because, oh my God, Khabib jumped the fence. Yeah, he's fucking retarded. We knew that. Nothing new. But that would have been a huge sale. And to let another fighter go by the wayside, who is a fucking legend, Dana, Shelby, all of you motherfuckers over there, what the actual fuck are you doing? It's not about us for the fans when it's a legend. When they say they want something, please fucking give that to them. He said he wanted one last fight. He wasn't asking for a fucking five-fight contract and naming X, Y, and Z of who he's going to fight and who he's not. He wanted one. He wasn't asking you to fucking throw a rope around the moon and bring that shit down to him. He just wants one fight. What is one fight going to hurt anybody? I think what they're worried about is they're worried about Khabib's legacy because they know GSP gets in there and whips that ass. Just like the second that Tony Ferguson gets a hold of that motherfucker and rails the piss out of him. Right. But, you know, I think part of this is it's the UFC trying to protect their own ass because they know somebody who's been sitting on the sidelines for a while, like GSP did, come back, take a belt from Bisbee. In what fashion? Tap, 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 I quit, I give up. Instead of going out like a champion... Bisping talks a lot of shit and he's done a lot of great things but when you have that belt around your waist you don't fucking tap you go to sleep motherfucker you go to sleep you fight until you pass out that's how a champion goes down GSP came in there took that shit they're afraid he'll do the same thing to Khabib so they're worried about a legacy pay-per-view draws down the road I get that but at the same time that legend has done more for the fucking UFC than any of those new matchmakers that are there. And he's done just as much as fucking Dana. Guaranteed. He might not have been the mouth, but he was definitely the face for a long, long fucking time. And he went to war with some of the greatest fighters there ever was. Fucking BJ, Matt, fucking, that's just to name a few. Look at the fucking fights that man put on. I'm just saying, he got royally fist-fucked with a hand dipped in sand and tar. Some bullshit. But on that note, GSP, I wish you all the best. Fucking one of the greatest to ever do it. I appreciate everything you did. The years of fucking entertainment and ability to make me root for you each and every time, no matter the circumstances. Thank you. Absolutely.
Tim's gonna say this. I don't give a. I don't want to talk about the whole, whole fight not not be not being given to him because TJ just covered all that. All I'm gonna say is that fucking, I am sad to see fucking GSP go, but he's fucking doing it on his own terms. How he wants to fucking do it. He gave him a fight offer to make him some money and the company some money. They didn't take it. Oh well, I don't want to talk about that. Second is, dude, I, I'm fucking sad to see the man go. Leave the fucking industry. I actually cried a little bit when I looked at my phone and saw the article come up for GSP retirement. I shed a single tear. It sucks to see, see the man go. Love who he is and what he's done for the fucking industry. Not just for MMA, not just for UFC, but MMA in, in a whole. He has fucking been there since fucking day one, pretty much. Guy's a fucking legend. Hats off to him. Fucking, it's just I just I just wish the best luck to the guy, and can't can't wait to see what he does with uh, his name and his legacy in the future if he goes on and does does more in the fighting industry. I can't wait to see what what happens. I agree. I agree. So one one quick little thought I do want to put out here about this real quick. Um, I was reading about this this afternoon, and it didn't really cross my mind until I saw it posted on a, on a fucking MMA forum this afternoon. Um, one growing fan theory that is floating around now is that the reason the UFC has no interest in making the Khabib fight is because if George could cut down to 155, fights Khabib and beats him while he's still the active champion, that means that GSP becomes the first UFC triple champion and then rides off and retires to not defend any of the belts. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that does make a little bit of sense from the side of UFC wanting to cover its own ass because inevitably somebody's going to become a triple champ. Sooner or later, it's bound to happen. As eager as guys are to collect fucking belts now, somebody's going to make a three-division championship run. I, I don't want to say it's right, but I can definitely understand from the way that the UFC has been behaving towards its people, that may be a reason why they were uninterested in making the Khabib-GSP fight. You know, that could be right. Like I said, I think it's more that they're worried about protecting Khabib's legacy, the wrestle fucker that he is. And right. to be honest, I can't wait. I cannot wait for the day. It's going to come. We know we've had so many close setbacks with this. But that day when he is forced, forced to fight Tony Ferguson and neither one of those cocksuckers gets injured because both of them got injured and that's why fights have been scrapped. I know that. I can't blame it on one or the other in this instance. But that day, Tony steps into the fucking cage with him. It is going to be the worst day of Khabib's entire life. He's going to make his own dad commit suicide because he's going to be so ashamed of the way that he's represented his countrymen and his wrestling prowess from there. I'm just saying, it, they're stopping him from being dethroned before he's dethroned. They're just prolonging the inevitable. Yep. 
I agree. I agree completely. I mean, Mir, with what you just said, the, I would I would want to see that fight. Because, I mean, as a business standpoint, fuck a name. You can take GSP out of it. Oh, yeah, somebody going for a triple champion. Think of the fucking pay-per-view buys. You would get money like a motherfucker. It doesn't matter what the name is behind it. it. Doesn't matter the face. Doesn't matter the name. You would get fucking hand over fist fucking money every second just because of, oh yeah we got somebody going for a fucking triple fucking championship raking money hand over fist. I think that's a dumbass call because you just lost a fuck ton of money. I agree because now it's definitely going to be a while again before somebody's in that position. And it's just, it's just a, 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 a dumb call. I don't I mean, business standpoint, I, I, I get trying to cover your asset, but I mean, dude, from a fucking business standpoint, when you have the fucking possibility of making millions on top of millions. I mean, dude, you got to fucking go where the goddamn money goes. And that's fucking money. And you know, there's one other thought to that. So what GSP wins, rides off into the sunset, like the true fucking champion and legend he is, you're going to turn around and you're going to go, oh, the belt's back up because you retired. Here, Khabib, have it back. And then he's going to get to throw him again by somebody who is much greater than he is and won't wrestle fuck the shit out of people. But he will make them look stupid. Tony Ferguson, you're the fucking man. Go with him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I agree. I agree. So that is all we do have for this episode here. Uh, thank you again, everyone, for tuning in here. Um, keep your eyes peeled because next week we have got another huge, huge episode to shoot here talking about one of the cards that I know TJ and I have been waiting all year to get into here. So you're not going to want to miss this one because shenanigans will be afoot for this one for sure. Um, Next weekend, not this coming weekend, but next weekend being the fucking UFC 235 Uber fucking card. So you don't want to miss next week's episode. We are definitely going to get into some shit for that one, but Thank you, gentlemen, for, for being a part of this one here. Um, we'll take it around real quick. RJ, if the folks want to keep talking some MMA shit with you after the show here, where can they get a hold of you? Uh, Instagram, RJ underscore underscore vapes. Uh, hit me up there. Uh, fucking any time of the day. I don't fucking sleep that much. Hit me up. Talk some shit. Thank you again for coming, brother. I appreciate your time. Thank you, man. TJ, my brother from another mother here. If the folks want to continue this shit talking once this show is over, please let them know where they can get a hold of you. They can all find me at Golf Tea Vapes on the YouTubes on Wednesday nights, 9.30 Central Time. You can find me on the Instagrizzles. Message me wherever. And if you're feeling giddy, inbox me at golfteavapes at gmail.com. I will gladly talk some shit to you or with you. Doesn't matter. Your choice. Take the beating if you like it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you again for coming, brother. I appreciate your time as well. That's all we've got for this episode, folks. If you enjoyed the shit that we have talked here and you feel that we deserve it, please give us a thumbs up. 
if you didn't like anything we said and you think we're just full of shit morons sitting around wasting time, give us a thumbs down. We deserved it. But if we kept your attention for the whole episode and my freezing ass glitching through this fucking promo deal isn't enough to run you away, consider giving us a subscription. Tell your friends about us. Help us grow the show. We do appreciate each and every one of you that tune in. But that's all we've got for this one here. So thank you again for tuning in to the I'm No Joe podcast. We are going to call that all. Don't forget, you can root for anything. Don't let ignorance stop you. Have a great night, folks. I just want to know how you managed not to freeze through that entire fucking <laughs> <Dumb luck. laughs>